Good morning, faith family at the landing. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, by the power of your risen Christ, who reigns now over us and in us, come by the Holy Spirit and teach us. From 1 Corinthians 15, teach us of what it's like for you to transform our lowly, broken, decaying bodies into a body like the one you have right now. And I pray that you would awaken faith in the heart of every person whose faith is weak or isn't there at all. That miraculously, just as you rose Jesus from the dead, you would cause faith to break out of the tomb of unbelief in the hearts of some unbelievers in this room and in the hearing of my voice. Thank you for the songs we were able to sing. Thank you for the time of prayer. Thank you for the joyful celebration we are able to experience here by the stunning and sheer grace of God. Now instruct us, speak to us. Let my words and my ideas and my very uh, image be forgotten. And let everything that you are teaching and saying to each heart in this room and those connecting by digital means take center stage. Let no one miss hearing from you. For you are speaking through your eternal and powerful word in the name of Christ and for his honor and glory and our eternal joy. I pray all these things. Amen. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that the, at the end of the third day he was risen from the grave by the power of God according to the scriptures? Paul teaches us that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And we've been walking our way this Holy Week through this amazing chapter. We come now to verses 35 and I'll be looking all the way through the end of the chapter at various verses. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you might know this verse. And even if you don't yet believe in Christ, you'll be familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What's that life going to be like? What's it like to be in the presence of Christ who is both God and man and he has a resurrected eternal body? What will it be like for you to be in his presence? No, the Christian hope is not that we will just be disembodied ether floating around like a bad breath up there. No, we will not become angels. No, we will not sit around on clouds. We will have a resurrected body just like his. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians because they found that very hard to believe. Oh, they would agree, no problem, that because Jesus was God and man, God raised him from the dead and gave him kind of as a reward, a brand new body. Good job, son. Here's your new body. Peter preached just weeks after Christ was raised from the dead in Jerusalem. And he said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know, the big stone in front of the opening where Jesus was buried wasn't to keep him in. It was to keep body stealers out. And to prove to everyone that it wasn't anything but the miraculous raising of God from the dead. That Jesus Christ, his body, breathed again on the morning of the first resurrection Sunday. 
and he passed through the grave clothes. And in resurrected body, he passed through the still closed stone in front of the tomb opening. The angels were needed to move such a big stone so that the rest of us could come rushing up to the empty tomb and see that it's empty. And oh, may you look into the empty tomb right now and see not only an empty tomb, but faith welling up inside your heart as you look into the darkness and see no Christ there. Peter's proclamation of the empty tomb that death was not powerful enough to keep Christ dead is the proclamation that started the whole Christian faith. For 2,000 years, we've been proclaiming the empty tomb, that Christ's death was profound and certified successful because, in fact, God raised him from the dead. And he said, Jesus, that not only am I raised from the dead, but I'm the first fruits and I'm taking you all with me. You too will walk through the grave. You will conquer death as well, and you will have a resurrected body just like me. Many in Paul's day said, I don't know if I really want that. I don't really know if I like that. Some thought, well, I'm so dirty and unholy. In fact, the Jews call my body unclean. So how could it be that if Christ got a new body because he died on the cross and he's God, I don't really see how I could get a new body. I don't deserve one. Others would say, we don't believe in the body. The body is just the problem. It's the source of all our sin and betrayal and temptation. The body belongs to the earth. I just want my spirit to go to God. Others said, if you've been born again as Jesus taught, you don't need a new body. You've already had the resurrection happen in your soul. Those same ideas are lurking today, aren't they? You don't have to look very far into our culture and sometimes, sadly, even into the church to find these horrible ideas about the body that God has created. Some call it shameful. And even in churches, they won't talk about the struggles of our bodies. They won't talk about the struggles with, with substances, medicines, and drugs. They won't talk about the struggles with food or alcohol. They won't talk about the struggles with sexual sin. To many, the body is shameful. It has become in our culture little more than a canvas on which to paint our rebellion. Still in this culture, like in Paul's day, we see the weakness of our bodies. We see wars and we see death. We see the, the harm that we do to our bodies, but yet we see the harm others do. We see viruses and fungi, bacteria, natural disasters, and all matter of hardship and difficulty, revealing just how very fragile and weak our bodies are. And it's so difficult to talk about, so we talk about Something strong like Brent Strong or Proctor Strong or United States Strong. You can even tell how much we recognize and have to admit our weakness by the way all our cultural heroes are so enormously strong. Proving how very weak we recognize ourselves to be. And in this culture, in churches even, and in the broader culture... We don't talk about it much, but massive industries exist to slow the decaying of our bodies. Aging, injuries, cellular breakdown, disease, dysfunction, and all manner of decay prove that statistics show one out of every one of us dies. There's an expiration date written on you so small you can't read it, but the manufacturer knows it well. We are united with Adam because he brought sin into the world and death after sin. We will all die. We will all succumb to it. 
But for those who are trusting in Christ, for those who belong to Christ, death has been defanged, denuded, emptied of its power, removed of its sting. It becomes a full completion of our glorification as we walk through it, just like Jesus did. First fruits in death. We are second. He's our first fruits in life, and we are second. We even wear clothing, don't we, as a confession that deep inside we are all carrying around some measure of shame for sin, some measure of awareness of our weakness, and some hope that we can somehow slow our decay. Why would Paul spend these verses that we're going to look at, 35 really through the end of the chapter, why would Paul Spend so much time getting specific, getting practical, getting real about this resurrection body that we'll have. Why would it be so helpful to you right now here today to pause and think on this resurrection Sunday about the body that you will one day have? This body, but transformed. I offer three quick answers. First, for believers, when you see this truth of the resurrection of the body, you will be launched with faith-fueled power into ministry. Preaching the truth of the resurrection of our bodies gives meat and substance and power and boldness and risk-taking love to ministries of care for orphans and for the ending of wars and the feeding of the hungry and the clothing of the naked and the providing of health and medicine to the sick. So that all of those helps in this life might alleviate temporary suffering, pointing boldly and clearly to the eternal suffering alleviated through Christ and believing in him alone. The second reason why it's good to talk about resurrection bodies is because Paul knows that there were skeptics in Corinth, there are skeptics in this room, and there are skeptics watching, and there are skeptics in your life. It's a massive claim to say all the oceans, all the cemeteries, all the mounds, all the dust, and all the dirt that covers dead bodies will give way, and all the bodies will be once raised. Jesus said in Matthew, or rather John 5, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear this, his voice and come out, those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's John 5, 28 and 29. Skeptics can have their faith awakened and triggered and started and emboldened because they can say, this is not just the crackpot claims of a lunatic or a liar. This is actually a well thought out plan. I am going to one day die and then I'm going to be raised. And if I died trusting in Christ, I will be raised to live with him in joy, infinitely increasing for eternity. If I died rejecting Christ, then my first death is the least of my problems. There's a second death after that and that's the scary one. Third reason why Paul talks about bodies. For many of you, it's your body that keeps you from following Christ. What you've done to it, what's been done to it, what you've done with it, how you feel about it, how you think about it, that's the biggest hurdle that's keeping you from following Christ. You feel broken. I've got news for you. Every single person is broken. Every one of us is broken. 
We're broken with food. We're broken with sex. We're broken with the way we think about our bodies. We're broken with time. We're broken with our thoughts of death. We're broken with the way we think about ourselves. But Jesus didn't come for the well. He came for the broken. Everybody's broken. Some people admit it. Some people hide it. Which are you? Come to the only one who knows everything about your body. And yet he's the only one who will receive you without condemnation. Come to him. What keeps you? Knowing that he knows everything about you. Whatever you've done. Whatever's been done to you. Whatever you've imagined doing. He knows that too. And he's the only one who will receive you without condemnation. Paul gives three pictures of what the resurrected body is like. Let your faith rise. Let your zeal for ministry rise. Let maybe your salvation begin with a brand new birth in the Lord as you ponder these faith-giving, life-giving verses with me. The first, the body glorious. The second, the body vigorous. The third, the body victorious. Look at verses 40 and 41 with me briefly. Paul writes, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. He's saying there's a glory that happens with animals and with seeds or acorns that go into the ground and become oak trees. There's a glory there. And you're supposed to look at your own body and say, this is like a seed that's going to die, go into the ground, and it's going to break apart. And then through the miracle of watering and the spirit and nourishing, I am going to become a, a body just like this one, but radically bigger and more glorious like an oak tree is to an acorn. This is the body glorious. We were always intended to have the bodies we have, but never the bodies we have tainted by Weakened by, dishonored by, and decaying because of sin. Look again at verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Death is not a pleasant thing to look at. It's hard for me to look at the news feed and see what's happening in Ukraine. It's hard for me to look at death. It's difficult to look at death in all its forms because it's the dishonor Paul names here. It's, it's the loss of honor. It's the decay. It's the horror. It's the uncleanness and the corruption of death. And it should be that way. Perishable. That's how we will die. Every one of us. Sin has come into the world and it has tainted everything, including and maybe chiefly our bodies. Yet there's a glory to be seen through faith all through the natural world, I see the glory of the sun and the planets. I see the glory of animals and I see the glory of planted and growing fruit bearing trees and on and on. Paul says in that glory, you should see the glory that your body has within it. The glory that God will grant you as your body goes into the ground and dies. Your body will be raised glorious. Listen to Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Heaven is a place where only the glorious may come. I can't get into heaven dressed this way. You all look beautiful today, but we can't get into heaven looking like this. We need a new body. We need a body matching the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords and the resurrected body he has. We need a body that's capable of and its capacities have been enlarged so that we can see the glory of God in Christ and have the only fitting and suitable response to glory, which is joy. The reason you see glorious things and seek them out on the earth is so that you might experience the joy of seeing the glory. The Christian life is having all of your joy lifted from lesser counterfeit glories and because of them pointed to the one and supreme glory that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he was, a God man teaching, ministering, touching bodies, healing, forgiving, having compassion, doing miracles. And then he died upon the cross, though he'd done no wrong, put into the grave, died and was there three days and rose again on resurrection Sunday morning. And then from there, he ascended all the way up into the father's right hand. And there he is now looking at you, staring down inside your heart. Hearing and thinking and knowing everything there is to know about all persons everywhere. And that's his glory. That stunning birth to Mary and then the glory of the risen Christ. Beyond our minds imagining you will join him. Your body will be the body glorious and you will have the capacity to enjoy him fully and increasingly forever and ever. So if you believe that. If you love that, if you want something of that glorious reality to be true in your life, what do you say to the Lord right now? You say, Lord, I'm not waiting for heaven. I want to start right now. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You know what the spirit is doing in this room right now and through live stream? He's moving in on your soul and he's polishing and he's cleansing and he's purifying by the word you right now so that you look more glorious than you did before you came in here. The body glorious. The body vigorous. Look at verses 43 and 44. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. What Paul means here is that you're going to have a power, a spiritual power about you that will mirror. It will be modeled after the spiritual power we see in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 42 again. It, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. This spiritual power means you can never die again. What would you do if you knew you could never die again? How would you talk? How free would you be with your love? How strong would be your hugs if you knew you could never die again? Spiritual power marks the resurrected, glorified body, the body vigorous. We get a glimpse of this spiritual body in Matthew chapter 17. Do you remember the transfiguration of Jesus? He's going to give them just a glimpse, his disciples, of what it's like to have a transformed, redeemed, glorified body. Just a glimpse. And he was transfigured before them, the scripture says, and his face shone like the sun. That's pretty bright. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them, Moses and Elijah, 
talking with him. And without photographs, I always wonder, how do they know it was Moses and Elijah? Face like the sun, clothes white as light. There's the resurrected Christ with a bit of his humanity veil pulled back so that they might be able to see what he looks like in his reality as the son of God and the son of man. Then verse 49, look down, 1 Corinthians 15, if that's still open in front of you, look at verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Get ready for your face to shine like the sun and for your clothes, your outer appearance to be white as light. This is what Jesus looks like right now. Brace yourself. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's what Jesus looks like right now. And Paul says in verse 49 of 1 Corinthians 15, You're going to look like that too. Eyes like flames of fire. Feet of burnished bronze, voice like the sound of Niagara Falls, gripping seven stars in his right hand, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, face shining like the sun at full strength. Breathtaking. The body glorious, begin right now. Transform me, Lord, from one degree of glory to another. The body vigorous, look at the power. Look at the hand of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in your life, believer. If this power awaits you and it's begun now in your life, what risks can you take for the cause of Christ around the world? Where can you go that they can put anything in front of you that's bigger than this? You just open your mouth and it sounds like Niagara Falls. You shine with the brightness of Christ on your face. You have the mighty power of God empowering your life. And if they kill you, it was because it was for your ultimate good. They just send you to Jesus faster, for to die is gain. What obedience, impossible in your natural acorn, dishonorable, corruptible body, is only power uh, capable and possible to obey in your body glorious and your body vigorous. Finally, the body victorious. Look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's coming a moment when Christ returns to bring an end to all evil, the devil, and gather his church to himself. And in that instant, the Bible says, 
we shall all be changed. This is why churches put cemeteries right outside their doors. Imagine that day that we sang about earlier. When all the graves open up and you're not living far away from one whom you love so deeply you miss every day. And they with millions of others are rising from the dead. You know where they were buried. Every one of us dies by ourselves. COVID made that so painful, didn't it? IVs, people masked up, can't get near you when you're dying. And, and even before COVID and after somewhat, we all die at our own times in our own way, and it's all very private. And, and you get put in the ground, and you're there by yourself, and everybody else who loves you and misses you is still alive, and it seems so lonely. After everybody has said their goodbyes, everybody walks away, and there's the casket, and it goes down into the ground all by itself. But on this day, this day, we shall all be changed. Everybody's looking at everybody. A foretaste of this at Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you remember in Matthew 27, 52, there were people popping out of the graves and they were chatting with each other in Jerusalem and everybody knew, hey, you used to be dead. That's a foretaste of this. People popping out of the graves and you look into the face of somebody who you knew had died a long time ago that you've missed every single day. And you look at them and, and you look closely and you say, you look more like yourself than you ever have before. And then you look away from them and you look to the face of Christ who's now come bodily back to earth. And you look back at your loved one and you say, and you look more like Christ than you ever have before. And they look back at you. With piercing eyes and they say you do too. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this, this perishable body. Must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body. Must put on immortality. I have done so many funerals outside. Where I'm standing over a hole where someone's loved one is being placed in a casket and down into the earth. And I read this very passage and I proclaim it with all my might, but you have no idea how many people look at me like I'm crazy when I say, there's going to come a day when all the believers in this cemetery are going to pop out of the ground like popcorn and they are going to be transformed with bodies that are just like Christ's resurrection body. It's true. And every one of us who loves the Lord Jesus Christ would die for its truth. How does it happen? It happens because Christ has really purchased and achieved a redemption for our bodies. Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You know about this groaning. This groaning is every kind of natural disaster and every kind of war and every kind of difficulty and crime and evil thing. It's all messed up in this groaning. But you know that that groaning is a witness to the fact that things ought to be way better than they are. Groaning is evangelistic. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. To what great end, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And then we get to sing a song of celebratory mocking over death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? You don't have it anymore. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, too bad, it got broken off. The sting of death is sin. And Christ has taken away my sin and the guilt of it before God. And the power of sin is the law. And Christ has lived to fulfill the law perfectly on my behalf. So thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The body victorious. The Old Testament prophesied it. Jesus achieved it. Paul reminds us of it. He says, the reason why we are given resurrection bodies is so that we can come into the presence of the Lord and we can give him a hug and he can hug us back. He can't hug a a vapor. The reason why we are given bodies is to show forth the glory of God forever and ever and ever, once an acorn, then an oak tree. The reason why we're given bodies that are redeemed is so that we can be powerful both now and then with the power that mirrors Christ. And the reason why we were given a body is so that we can enjoy. We can dance. We can celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, that someone would keep writing new melodies. To death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if someone could find the timbers on which Jesus' body hung. Imagine if somebody could find crosses excavated and pull out the wood that killed, that that ministered the death to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then took those timbers and shaved them down into uh, thin half inch strips and laid them side by side to build a hardwood floor that was then polished and sanded and stained beautifully and, and made ready for dancing. Oh, the joys of standing before the Lord with all our loved ones and all our friends and all who led us to Christ and all whom we've led to Christ and all our family members that we can lead to Christ and all the people who are trusting in Christ around the world. 150 million people in China today are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Millions of people in Africa, South and North America, Asia, Europe, Africa, around the world, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are proclaiming the power of being awakened on that day from the being in the grave or if we're alive from living in this body and being given a new resurrected body. An awakening is coming. That's why, and it's such a precious awakening. That's why every false religion comes along and says, I've got a new way for you to be woke. It's a perversion of the awakening that we're enjoying here. It's why every revival throughout the history of the church in the last 2,000 years has been called appropriately a spiritual awakening because many dead in Christ are made alive in the new birth in Christ with joy anticipating the resurrected body they'll receive. George Whitfield in the 1700s in the first great awakening is a favorite preacher of mine. He proclaimed the gospel in many places around this 
uh, set of colonies at the time, 1739, 1740. Jonathan Edwards is over there in Massachusetts doing it. George Whitfield is up and down the eastern seaboard in the colonies proclaiming the resurrection from the dead and Christ being our first fruits. A politician, a publisher, a book writer, a newspaper man came to hear George Whitfield. His name was Benjamin Franklin. When Whitfield preached the resurrection of the body and the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philadelphia in 1740, Benjamin Franklin saw a revival, an awakening, a transformation to his beloved city of Philadelphia. Here's what Benjamin Franklin writes in his own newspaper in response to the awakening that's taking over Philadelphia in 1740. Wonderful, Franklin says. Change soon made in the manners of our city inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seems as if the whole world were growing religious. So that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families on every street. Can you imagine walking through Proctor or Duluth or Minneapolis? Minneapolis. And hearing psalms sung to God on every street. You imagine your favorite city. Kiev, Moscow, New York, where you live. Was Benjamin Franklin converted? Oh, he was impressed with George Whitfield. He liked the way George Whitfield said the word Mesopotamia. When Franklin was younger, here's what he said he wanted on his tombstone, not his pizza. The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. People who knew Franklin didn't have enough courage to actually put that on his tombstone. He had written it, said he wanted it. There's a question whether it was true or not. Here's what George Whitfield put on his tombstone, and it is what's on the tombstone. I am content to wait till the day of judgment for the clearing up of my character. And after I am dead, I desire no other epitaph than this. Here lies G.W., what sort of man he was, the great day will discover. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the great day coming. We don't know when, but it's coming soon. And I pray, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, soon. We are very ready in this world for you to come. I am asking for the salvation of sinners in this room and in our extended families and through those watching by live stream or hearing by recording. I'm praying that such a boldness in resurrection body will overwhelm us, that we will go out of this room and boldly speak of it to those we may interact with. That you will use us to cause awakening, not just in our families and in our communities, but across this nation and across the world. I thank you for that final day of awakening when we will get to watch from all the graves and oceans and lands of the earth, the natural earth giving up its dead. And you will call for a judgment. Those who died trusting in you and trust in you as they live to eternal life with a resurrected body like yours. And those who choose and side with death will have exactly what they desire for an eternity as well. Pour out your spirit on us 
Enable us now to respond to your word with joy as we sing in response to the great truth that we will have resurrected bodies with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Stand, would you? Good morning, faith family at the landing. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, by the power of your risen Christ, who reigns now over us and in us, come by the Holy Spirit and teach us. From 1 Corinthians 15, teach us of what it's like for you to transform our lowly, broken, decaying bodies into a body like the one you have right now. And I pray that you would awaken faith in the heart of every person whose faith is weak or isn't there at all, that miraculously, just as you rose Jesus from the dead, you would cause faith to break out of the tomb of unbelief in the hearts of some unbelievers in this room and in the hearing of my voice. Thank you for the songs we were able to sing. Thank you for the time of prayer. Thank you for the joyful celebration we are able to experience here by the stunning and sheer grace of God. Now instruct us, speak to us. Let my words and my ideas and my very uh, image be forgotten. And let everything that you are teaching and saying to each heart in this room and those connecting by digital means take center stage. Let no one miss hearing from you. For you are speaking through your eternal and powerful word in the name of Christ and for his honor and glory and our eternal joy. I pray all these things. Amen. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that the, at the end of the third day he was risen from the grave by the power of God according to the scriptures? Paul teaches us that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And we've been walking our way this Holy Week through this amazing chapter. We come now to verses 35 and I'll be looking all the way through the end of the chapter at various verses. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you might know this verse. And even if you don't yet believe in Christ, you'll be familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What's that life going to be like? What's it like to be in the presence of Christ who is both God and man and he has a resurrected eternal body? What will it be like for you to be in his presence? No, the Christian hope is not that we will just be disembodied ether floating around like a bad breath up there. No, we will not become angels. No, we will not sit around on clouds. We will have a resurrected body just like his. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians because they found that very hard to believe. Oh, they would agree, no problem, that because Jesus was God and man, God raised him from the dead and gave him, kind of as a reward, a brand new body. Good job, son. Here's your new body. Peter preached just weeks after Christ was raised from the dead in Jerusalem, and he said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know, the big stone in front of the opening where Jesus was buried wasn't to keep him in. It was to keep body stealers out. 
and to prove to everyone that it wasn't anything but the miraculous raising of God from the dead that Jesus Christ, his body, breathed again on the morning of the first resurrection Sunday. And he passed through the grave clothes. And in resurrected body, he passed through the still closed stone in front of the tomb opening. The angels were needed to move such a big stone so that the rest of us could come rushing up to the empty tomb and see that it's empty. And oh, may you look into the empty tomb right now and see not only an empty tomb, but faith welling up inside your heart as you look into the darkness and see no Christ there. Peter's proclamation of the empty tomb that death was not powerful enough to keep Christ dead is the proclamation that started the whole Christian faith. For 2,000 years, we've been proclaiming the empty tomb that Christ's death was profound and certified successful because, in fact, God raised him from the dead. And he said, Jesus, that not only am I raised from the dead, but I'm the first fruits and I'm taking you all with me. You too will walk through the grave. You will conquer death as well. And you will have a resurrected body just like me. Many in Paul's day said, I don't know if I really want that. I don't really know if I like that. Some thought, well, I'm so dirty and unholy. In fact, the Jews call my body unclean. So how could it be that if Christ got a new body because he died on the cross and he's God, I don't really see how I could get a new body. I don't deserve one. Others would say, we don't believe in the body. The body is just the problem. It's the source of all our sin and betrayal and temptation. The body belongs to the earth. I just want my spirit to go to God. Others said, if you've been born again as Jesus taught, you don't need a new body. You've already had the resurrection happen in your soul. Those same ideas are lurking today, aren't they? You don't have to look very far into our culture and sometimes, sadly, even into the church to find these horrible ideas about the body that God has created. Some call it shameful. And even in churches, they won't talk about the struggles of our bodies. They won't talk about the struggles with, with substances, medicines, and drugs. They won't talk about the struggles with food or alcohol. They won't talk about the struggles with sexual sin. To many, the body is shameful. It has become in our culture little more than a canvas on which to paint our rebellion. Still in this culture, like in Paul's day, we see the weakness of our bodies. We see wars and we see death. We see the, the harm that we do to our bodies, but yet we see the harm others do. We see viruses and fungi, bacteria, natural disasters, and all matter of hardship and difficulty, revealing just how very fragile and weak our bodies are. And it's so difficult to talk about, so we talk about something strong, like Brent Strong or Proctor Strong or United States Strong. You can even tell how much we recognize and have to admit our weakness by the way all our cultural heroes are so enormously strong proving how very weak we recognize ourselves to be. And in this culture, in churches even, and in the broader culture, we don't talk about it much, but massive industries exist to slow the decaying of our bodies. Aging, injuries, cellular breakdown, disease, dysfunction, and all manner of decay prove that statistics show one out of every one of us dies. There's an expiration date written on you so small you can't read it, but the manufacturer knows it well. 
We are united with Adam because he brought sin into the world and death after sin. We will all die. We will all succumb to it. But for those who are trusting in Christ, for those who belong to Christ, death has been defanged, denuded, emptied of its power, removed of its sting. It becomes a full completion of our glorification as we walk through it, just like Jesus did. First fruits in death. We are second. He's our first fruits in life, and we are second. We even wear clothing, don't we, as a confession that deep inside we are all carrying around some measure of shame for sin. Some measure of awareness of our weakness. And some hope that we can somehow slow our decay. Why would Paul spend these verses that we're going to look at, 35 really through the end of the chapter, why would Paul... Spend so much time getting specific, getting practical, getting real about this resurrection body that we'll have. Why would it be so helpful to you right now here today to pause and think on this Resurrection Sunday about the body that you will one day have? This body, but transformed. I offer three quick answers. First, for believers, when you see this truth of the resurrection of the body, you will be launched with faith-fueled power into ministry. Preaching the truth of the resurrection of our bodies gives meat and substance and power and boldness and risk-taking love to ministries of care for orphans and for the ending of wars and the feeding of the hungry and the clothing of the naked and the providing of health and medicine to the sick. So that all of those helps in this life might alleviate temporary suffering, pointing boldly and clearly to the eternal suffering alleviated through Christ and believing in Him alone. The second reason why it's good to talk about resurrection bodies is because Paul knows that there were skeptics in Corinth. There are skeptics in this room and there are skeptics watching and there are skeptics in your life. It's a massive claim to say. All the oceans, all the cemeteries, all the mounds, all the dust and all the dirt that covers dead bodies will give way and all the bodies will be once raised. Jesus said in Matthew, or rather John 5, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear this, his voice and come out, those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's John 5, 28 and 29. Skeptics can have their faith awakened and triggered and started and emboldened because they can say, this is not just the crackpot claims of a lunatic or a liar. This is actually a well thought out plan. I am going to one day die and then I'm going to be raised. And if I died trusting in Christ, I will be raised to live with him in joy, infinitely increasing for eternity. If I died rejecting Christ, then my first death is the least of my problems. There's a second death after that and that's the scary one third reason why Paul talks about bodies. For many of you, it's your body that keeps you from following Christ. What you've done to it, what's been done to it, what you've done with it, how you feel about it, how you think about it, that's the biggest hurdle that's keeping you from following Christ. You feel broken. I've got news for you. Every single person is broken. Every one of us is broken. 
We're broken with food. We're broken with sex. We're broken with the way we think about our bodies. We're broken with time. We're broken with our thoughts of death. We're broken with the way we think about ourselves. But Jesus didn't come for the well. He came for the broken. Everybody's broken. Some people admit it. Some people hide it. Which are you? Come to the only one who knows everything about your body. And yet he's the only one who will receive you without condemnation. Come to him. What keeps you? Knowing that he knows everything about you. Whatever you've done. Whatever's been done to you. Whatever you've imagined doing. He knows that too. And he's the only one who will receive you without condemnation. Paul gives three pictures of what the resurrected body is like. Let your faith rise. Let your zeal for ministry rise. Let maybe your salvation begin with a brand new birth in the Lord as you ponder these faith-giving, life-giving verses with me. The first, the body glorious. The second, the body vigorous. The third, the body victorious. Look at verses 40 and 41 with me briefly. Paul writes, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. He's saying there's a glory that happens with animals and with seeds or acorns that go into the ground and become oak trees. There's a glory there. And you're supposed to look at your own body and say, this is like a seed that's going to die, go into the ground, and it's going to break apart. And then through the miracle of watering and the spirit and nourishing, I am going to become a, a body just like this one, but radically bigger and more glorious like an oak tree is to an acorn. This is the body glorious. We were always intended to have the bodies we have, but never the bodies we have tainted by weakened by, dishonored by, and decaying because of sin. Look again at verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Death is not a pleasant thing to look at. It's hard for me to look at the news feed and see what's happening in Ukraine. It's hard for me to look at death. It's difficult to look at death in all its forms because it's the dishonor Paul names here. It's, it's the loss of honor. It's the decay. It's the horror. It's the uncleanness and the corruption of death. And it should be that way. Perishable. That's how we will die. Every one of us. Sin has come into the world and it has tainted everything, including and maybe chiefly our bodies. Yet there's a glory to be seen through faith all through the natural world, I see the glory of the sun and the planets. I see the glory of animals and I see the glory of planted and growing fruit bearing trees and on and on. Paul says in that glory, you should see the glory that your body has within it. The glory that God will grant you as your body goes into the ground and dies. Your body will be raised glorious. Listen to Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Heaven is a place where only the glorious may come. I can't get into heaven dressed this way. You all look beautiful today, but we can't get into heaven looking like this. We need a new body. We need a body matching the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords and the resurrected body he has. We need a body that's capable of and its capacities have been enlarged so that we can see the glory of God in Christ and have the only fitting and suitable response to glory, which is joy. The reason you see glorious things and seek them out on the earth is so that you might experience the joy of seeing the glory. The Christian life is having all of your joy lifted from lesser counterfeit glories and because of them pointed to the one and supreme glory that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he was, a God-man teaching, ministering, touching bodies, healing, forgiving, having compassion, doing miracles. And then he died upon the cross, though he'd done no wrong, put into the grave, died and was there three days and rose again on resurrection Sunday morning. And then from there, he ascended all the way up into the father's right hand. And there he is now looking at you, staring down inside your heart. Hearing and thinking and knowing everything there is to know about all persons everywhere. And that's his glory. That stunning birth to Mary and then the glory of the risen Christ. Beyond our minds imagining you will join him. Your body will be the body glorious and you will have the capacity to enjoy him fully and increasingly forever and ever. So if you believe that. If you love that, if you want something of that glorious reality to be true in your life, what do you say to the Lord right now? You say, Lord, I'm not waiting for heaven. I want to start right now. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You know what the spirit is doing in this room right now and through live stream? He's moving in on your soul and he's polishing and he's cleansing and he's purifying by the word you right now so that you look more glorious than you did before you came in here. The body glorious. The body vigorous. Look at verses 43 and 44. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. What Paul means here is that you're going to have a power, a spiritual power about you that will mirror. It will be modeled after the spiritual power we see in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 42 again. It, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. This spiritual power means you can never die again. What would you do if you knew you could never die again? How would you talk? How free would you be with your love? How strong would be your hugs if you knew you could never die again? Spiritual power marks the resurrected glorified body, the body vigorous. We get a glimpse of this spiritual body in Matthew chapter 17. Do you remember the transfiguration of Jesus? He's going to give them just a glimpse, his disciples, of what it's like to have a transformed, redeemed, glorified body. Just a glimpse. And he was transfigured before them, the scripture says, and his face shone like the sun. That's pretty bright. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them, Moses and Elijah, 
talking with him. And without photographs, I always wonder, how do they know it was Moses and Elijah? Face like the sun, clothes white as light. There's the resurrected Christ with a bit of his humanity veil pulled back so that they might be able to see what he looks like in his reality as the Son of God and the Son of Man. Then verse 49, look down, 1 Corinthians 15, if that's still open in front of you, look at verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Get ready for your face to shine like the sun and for your clothes, your outer appearance to be white as light. This is what Jesus looks like right now. Brace yourself. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's what Jesus looks like right now. And Paul says in verse 49 of 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to look like that too. Eyes like flames of fire feet of burnished bronze, voice like the sound of Niagara Falls, gripping seven stars in his right hand, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, face shining like the sun at full strength. Breathtaking. The body glorious, begin right now. Transform me, Lord, from one degree of glory to another. The body vigorous, look at the power. Look at the hand of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in your life, believer. If this power awaits you and it's begun now in your life, what risks can you take for the cause of Christ around the world? Where can you go that they can put anything in front of you that's bigger than this? You just open your mouth and it sounds like Niagara Falls. You shine with the brightness of Christ on your face. You have the mighty power of God empowering your life. And if they kill you, it was because it was for your ultimate good. They just send you to Jesus faster, for to die is gain. What obedience, impossible in your natural, acorn, dishonorable, corruptible body, is only power uh, capable and possible to obey in your body glorious and your body vigorous. Finally, the body victorious. Look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's coming a moment when Christ returns to bring an end to all evil, the devil, and gather his church to himself. And in that instant, the Bible says, 
we shall all be changed. This is why churches put cemeteries right outside their doors. Imagine that day that we sang about earlier. When all the graves open up and you're not living far away from one whom you love so deeply you miss every day. And they with millions of others are rising from the dead. You know where they were buried. Every one of us dies by ourselves. COVID made that so painful, didn't it? IVs, people masked up, can't get near you when you're dying. And, and even before COVID and after somewhat, we all die at our own times in our own way, and it's all very private. And, and you get put in the ground, and you're there by yourself, and everybody else who loves you and misses you is still alive, and it seems so lonely. After everybody has said their goodbyes, everybody walks away, and there's the casket, and it goes down into the ground all by itself. But on this day, this day, we shall all be changed. Everybody's looking at everybody. A foretaste of this at Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you remember in Matthew 27, 52, there were people popping out of the graves and they were chatting with each other in Jerusalem and everybody knew, hey, you used to be dead. That's a foretaste of this. People popping out of the graves and you look into the face of somebody who you knew had died a long time ago that you've missed every single day. And you look at them and, and you look closely and you say, you look more like yourself than you ever have before. And then you look away from them and you look to the face of Christ who's now come bodily back to earth. And you look back at your loved one and you say, and you look more like Christ than you ever have before. And they look back at you. With piercing eyes and they say, you do too. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this, in, this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. I have done so many funerals outside where I'm standing over a hole where someone's loved one is being placed in a casket and down into the earth. And I read this very passage and I proclaim it with all my might. But you have no idea how many people look at me like I'm crazy when I say, there's going to come a day when all the believers in this cemetery are going to pop out of the ground like popcorn. And they are going to be transformed with bodies that are just like Christ's resurrection body. It's true. And every one of us who loves the Lord Jesus Christ would die for its truth. How does it happen? It happens because Christ has really purchased and achieved a redemption for our bodies. Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You know about this groaning. This groaning is every kind of natural disaster and every kind of war and every kind of difficulty and crime and evil thing. It's all messed up in this groaning. But you know that that groaning is a witness to the fact that things ought to be way better than they are. Groaning is evangelistic. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. To what great end, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And then we get to sing a song of celebratory mocking over death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? You don't have it anymore. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, too bad. It got broken off. The sting of death is sin. And Christ has taken away my sin and the guilt of it before God. And the power of sin is the law. And Christ has lived to fulfill the law perfectly on my behalf. So thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The body victorious. The Old Testament prophesied it. Jesus achieved it. Paul reminds us of it. He says the reason why we are given resurrection bodies is so that we can come into the presence of the Lord and we can give him a hug and he can hug us back. He can't hug a, a vapor. The reason why we are given bodies is to show forth the glory of God forever and ever and ever. Once an acorn, then an oak tree. The reason why we're given bodies that are redeemed is so that we can be powerful both now and then with the power that mirrors Christ. And the reason why we were given a body is so that we can enjoy. We can dance. We can celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, that someone would keep writing new melodies to death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if someone could find the timbers on which Jesus' body hung. Imagine if somebody could find crosses excavated and pull out the wood that killed, that, that ministered the death to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then took those timbers and shaved them down into uh, thin half-inch strips and laid them side by side to build a hardwood floor that was then polished and sanded and stained beautifully and, and made ready for dancing. Oh, the joys of standing before the Lord with all our loved ones and all our friends and all who led us to Christ and all whom we've led to Christ and all our family members that we can lead to Christ and all the people who are trusting in Christ around the world. 150 million people in China today are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Millions of people in Africa, South and North America, Asia, Europe, Africa, around the world, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are proclaiming the power of being awakened on that day from the being in the grave or if we're alive from living in this body and being given a new resurrected body. An awakening is coming. That's why it, and it's such a precious awakening. That's why every false religion comes along and says, I've got a new way for you to be woke. It's a perversion of the awakening that we're enjoying here. It's why every revival throughout the history of the church in the last 2000 years has been called appropriately a spiritual awakening because many dead in Christ are made alive in the new birth in Christ with joy anticipating the resurrected body they'll receive. George Whitfield in the 1700s in the first great awakening is a favorite preacher of mine. He proclaimed the gospel in many places around this 
uh, set of colonies at the time, 1739, 1740. Jonathan Edwards is over there in Massachusetts doing it. George Whitfield is up and down the eastern seaboard in the colonies proclaiming the resurrection from the dead and Christ being our first fruits. A politician, a publisher, a book writer, a newspaper man came to hear George Whitfield. His name was Benjamin Franklin. When Whitfield preached the resurrection of the body and the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philadelphia in 1740, Benjamin Franklin saw a revival, an awakening, a transformation to his beloved city of Philadelphia. Here's what Benjamin Franklin writes in his own newspaper in response to the awakening that's taking over Philadelphia in 1740. Wonderful, Franklin says. Change soon made in the manners of our city inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seems as if the whole world were growing religious. So that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families on every street. Can you imagine walking through Proctor or Duluth or Minneapolis? Minneapolis. And hearing psalms sung to God on every street. You imagine your favorite city. Kiev. Moscow. New York. Where you live. Was Benjamin Franklin converted? Oh, he was impressed with George Whitfield. He liked the way George Whitfield said the word Mesopotamia. When Franklin was younger, here's what he said he wanted on his tombstone, not his pizza. The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. People who knew Franklin didn't have enough courage to actually put that on his tombstone. He had written it, said he wanted it. There's question whether it was true or not. Here's what George Whitfield put on his tombstone, and it is what's on the tombstone. I am content to wait till the day of judgment for the clearing up of my character. And after I am dead, I desire no other epitaph than this. Here lies G.W., what sort of man he was, the great day will discover. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the great day coming. We don't know when, but it's coming soon. And I pray, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, soon. We are very ready in this world for you to come. I am asking for the salvation of sinners in this room and in our extended families and through those watching by live stream or hearing by recording. I'm praying that such a boldness in resurrection body will overwhelm us, that we will go out of this room and boldly speak of it to those we may interact with. That you will use us to cause awakening, not just in our families and in our communities, but across this nation and across the world. I thank you for that final day of awakening when we will get to watch from all the graves and oceans and lands of the earth, the natural earth giving up its dead. And you will call for a judgment. Those who died trusting in you and trust in you as they live to eternal life with a resurrected body like yours. And those who choose and side with death will have exactly what they desire for an eternity as well. Pour out your spirit on us. 
Enable us now to respond to your word with joy as we sing in response to the great truth that we will have resurrected bodies with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Stand, would you? Thank mm-hmm. you.